Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you guys here. A couple of you who are here in church and services in person, uh, and everybody out out in uh, inter- internet land who's watching. Glad to have you guys with us this morning. I hope your day yesterday was wonderful. It was such a beautiful day. The sunshine was so so needed, really. Right? I mean, goodness gracious, it was such a wonderful day. Um, I want to get right into it. So let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and. We thank you so much, Lord, for your grace and your mercy towards us, and uh, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that you uh, continue to speak to us through your word, Lord, regardless of um, the circumstances of our service, Father, even though it's changed so much. Lord, we know that you will continue to bless people through the teaching and the reading of your word, and uh, we ask that you do that this morning, Lord, that you would instruct us and train us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, you know what every single person who's listening to the, the message today, what they need to hear from you, Father. And so we pray that you would have free reign in their hearts, Lord, to speak to them, to instruct them, Lord, and to guide them in their lives. Help us all to have the faith, uh, Lord, to com- completely entrust every aspect of our lives to you uh, and allow you to have your perfect work within us, Father. So be with us this morning and be honored and glorified and lifted up in all that we do today, tomorrow, and uh, throughout this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, <clears throat> we are in continuing in the book of Numbers, and we are going to be covering chapter 18 this morning. Uh, hopefully, we'll get through the whole chapter is my plan. We'll see how that goes, um, but uh, we're going to get as far as we possibly can. Uh, Numbers chapter 18, we're picking up right after a couple of the fresh rebellions that have taken place within the nation. Uh, So really, this series of events starts with them coming to the promised land, uh, as you know, and sending out the 12 spies to spy out the land. Ten uh, ten spies come back out of the 12 and say, we can't do it. There's no way. It's impossible. And of course, God had already told them, I'm giving you this land. Two Two of the spies look at the circumstances, look at all the difficulties, but instead of seeing the difficulty, what they see is God's will, God's provision. You know, the old adage, where God guides, he provides. Well, if God has called you to do something, if God has told you or instructed you to do something, he's going to be with you in that, and he's going to give you what you need in order to accomplish what he's asked you to accomplish. It doesn't mean you're not going to be tested. It doesn't mean you're not going to be stretched. It doesn't mean that your, your faith is not going to be put to the test. <clears throat> but God will be with you. Uh, a couple of the, of, the, of the famous stories we all remember from Scripture uh, is, of course, Jesus calming the Sea of Galilee. There's the great storm that comes, and the Bible says that Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat, and the disciples are freaking out, and they wake Jesus up and say, like, don't you even care that we die, that we're dying here? And, and we know that Jesus stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves and then asked the disciples, where is your faith? Well, what faith was he speaking of? Well, before they had launched into the Sea of Galilee, before they had even gotten into the boat, Jesus told them, we're going across to the other side. And so he expected of his disciples that they would have trusted him that if he said we're going to the other side, then regardless of what happened along the way, no matter how big the storm or the waves, he was going to get them to the other side. And I think it's the same faith that goes back to God telling the children of Israel, I want you to go in and I want you to inhabit the land. And he expected them 
to be obedient to his word and to have faith that where he was guiding them, he was also going to give them all the provision and all of the strength that they needed to do what he had asked them to do. Well, of course, they believed the 10 spies who brought the bad report. They, their, their faith was completely shattered and fell apart. They decided we're not going to go into the land. They even talked about stoning uh, Moses and Joshua and Caleb to get rid of their voices, telling them that they should go into the land. Uh, and so God tells them, okay, because of your lapse of faith, because of your unbelief, you're not going into the land. Now you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and your children, whom you said would be devoured by the land, they're going to go into the land, but you're going to die in the wilderness as a result of your lack of faith, of not believing in my word. God always expects us to believe what he says, that it's true. Now, following that, in the last couple of chapters, we have the, the famous rebellion of Korah, where you had Korah, and then you also had a couple of the heads of the other, a couple of the other tribes come against Moses and Aaron, and their main complaint was, basically, who are you? Who are you that you get to have the say-so that what, what this nation does or where this nation goes? They completely, of course, were disregarding the fact that Moses and Aaron in and of themselves were no one but that it was God who had called them. So once again, the people's failure, the people's sin, was that they were failing to see God and instead were seeing the circumstances. And in this case, we're seeing the men who were involved in the situation. Listen, if you're looking to men, if you're looking to mankind, if you're looking to human beings to bring you faith, to bring you comfort, to bring you uh, the idea that everything is going to be okay at some point in time, maybe not all the time, but at some point in time, you are going to be let down. You are going to be disappointed in people. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It doesn't matter how wonderful the person is or how dear they are to you. At some point in time, they're going to let you down. And so God wants us to be always looking to him for our guidance, looking to him for our comfort, looking to him for our strength. These rebels that rose up against Moses and Aaron, they failed to see that it had nothing to do with Moses and Aaron and everything to do with God's will. And of course, we have the famous account of the earth literally opening up and swallowing up Korah and then a plague breaking them out amongst some of the other rebels. And then immediately following that, uh, the children of Israel come to Moses and say, you have killed the children of God. You have killed the people of God. Speaking, of course, of the rebels that God had put to death. And said, and again, looking at Moses, you have done this thing. And, and Moses, I can't imagine at that point in time, if you're the leader of it, can you imagine all of these things take place? You're a bystander. And God is doing all these amazing and terrible things, and the people continue to miss God, continue to completely miss God's involvement. Like, how do you miss that? And yet they're not looking for it, see? And if you're not looking for God working in your life, it is easy to miss it. It is easy to miss it, to dismiss it as being uh, just a result of this or a result of that or a bad break or just people are against me or, or this or that. Sometimes the bad things in our lives, sometimes the tough things in our lives are God moving in us, are God pushing us in a direction. 
We have to have the faith to look for that. God, is this just the, 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 the random result of just a bad break? It could be. Lord, is just, just, this, uh, just a random occurrence of it? Or is this completely about what that person is doing? Or Lord, are you trying to show me something? This is where when the scripture says, God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that God makes the bad things happen in your life. That's not what that means. What it means is, is that God is always looking for an occasion to speak into your life. God is always looking for an occasion to move in your life. And he will not only use the good things, but oftentimes he'll use the bad things. He'll use the sicknesses. He'll use the disappointments. He'll use the loss of employment. He'll use the loss of a loved one. Not that he is glad for that or caused that, but he seeks to use everything in your life to bring you encouragement and to draw you closer to him. And the people were unable to see that. Finally, in chapter 17, we have this God dealing with the people in the sense of he is going to now firmly establish the priesthood amongst the children of Israel. Within the nation of Israel, he is firmly establishing the priesthood and that it comes in the tribe of Levi and the priesthood specifically goes through the line of Aaron. Aaron is the one that God has chosen to be the high priest of the children of Israel and his sons after him. And God now firmly establishes that when we have the account in chapter 17 of them bringing all of the staffs, all of the staffs of each of the leaders of the, house, of the, of the different tribes and families of the house of Israel, and they bring them into the tabernacle, and God says the one that buds and blossoms, these, these dead sticks... The ones that bud, the one that buds and blossoms and bring forth flower, that's the staff of the man that I'm choosing. Well, it's interesting because he had already chosen Aaron. He had already told them. But because of their unbelief, God says, I'm going to do this one last thing that you might know. And of course, they bring all of the staffs in and it's Aaron's rod that buds and bring forth flowers, and it says fresh almonds even. And God finally, firmly establishes, and the people finally grasp this is God's doing. God is the one who has established Aaron as the priest. So now we're going to pick up in chapter 18. Then the Lord said to Aaron, this is interesting, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. Also bring with you your brethren of the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. They shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary and the altar lest they die. Notice this, they and you also. 
So God is putting the responsibility for this again on Aaron and his sons. <laughs> In other words, this is not a position. You guys are envying after this position of the priesthood. This is not a position to be envied. This is a, a position to be looked at with a holy reverence and a godly fear because of the responsibility that goes along with it. One of the things I love about reading through the Old Testament and studying through the Old Testament scriptures, are, are, it's kind of a twofold thing for me. The one thing is all of the things from the Old Covenant from the covenant of, of the law uh, that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai, the sacrificial system, the tabernacle. I love that it translates so fluidly and beautifully into our faith in Jesus Christ. Just as he said that he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And so much of what we find in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ is a shadow, is a reflection of what God was doing amongst the children of Israel in the Old Testament. The other thing that I love about reading through the law in the Old Testament are the things that don't <laughs> pertain to our covenant with God. Under the new covenant, the covenant that we have with God is not a covenant. Remember this, guys. It's not a covenant of sacrifices of blood. It's not a covenant of obeying the law. But rather, our covenant with God now is through the man, Jesus Christ. And the book of Romans, the book of Hebrews, points this out so beautifully that he is the fulfillment of all these truths of God that we find in the Old Testament. They are all fulfilled in the man, in the person, Jesus Christ. He is both our prophet, he is our priest, he is the sacrifice, he is our tabernacle, he is the ark of the testimony. All of these things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And because he has paid the way, and because he has paid the price for our sins, we don't have to read the words, lest you die, <laughs> in the New Testament. If you don't do all of these things, if you don't come to church a certain way, if you don't follow this law, and if you don't do this, you're going to die. You're going to be cut off from the people. All of that, all of those consequences were paid for through Jesus Christ, which is such a wonderful truth. However, so many of the truths that God established amongst the children of Israel and through the priesthood are, 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 are things that still... Uh, reflect into the new covenant. One of the things I want to talk about here is in the chapter 18, verses 1 to 3 here, it says, the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. And then he goes on to say, all of the other people, your family members from the tribe of Levi that are not from Aaron's house, they cannot come near the articles of the tabernacle. In other words, they could not come into the holy place. They could not approach the altar. They could not approach the ark because if that happens, they are going to die and you're going to die. I'm going to hold you responsible. There's that responsibility. And that responsibility still goes along with being called of God. A couple of verses I want to read to you. Hebrews chapter 13 uh, and verse 17 says this, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Now, he's talking about church government specifically, within the function of the church. And when it talks about obeying the rulers within the, your rulers within the church, which would be the, the, the pastors, the elders, things of this nature, it doesn't mean that during the week, you know, you're thinking of buying something and so, well, I better call the pastor first. 
You know, hey, pastor, is it okay if I buy this thing? Hey, me and the, me and the wife are thinking about going and doing this. Is, is, that, is that okay with you? That's not what it means at all. It's specifically talking about within the body, within the church facility, within the working of that ministry, God has put people in charge. And those who are under that ministry need to give them that honor. So that's what it means. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Listen to this. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. So let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here to the church is those pastors, those people who are over you within the church, they have to give an accounting for their ministering to you. They have to give an accounting for how they deal with you. So give them a break. (laughs) So give them a break. Don't make their job difficult. Don't make their job hard. Don't always be bringing them off of the main path or sidetracking them with different things that are not important or be complaining or grumbling. You know, make it easy on them. Give them, give them a break. Don't make it too hard on them is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It's not going to be profitable for you if you do that. But, it, but here's what it says. Because they must give an account. And that, that is true. That is so true. That's why we preach through the Bible, from the Bible. That's why we stick to that. That's the reasoning for this church doing the services the way that we do, is because we understand we have to give an account. What did you teach my people? What did you say to my people? How did you deal with my people? Well, you told them this, and you told them that, and you told them this was okay, and you told them that was okay. It ain't okay. And I hold you responsible. There's a responsibility there. Well, here's what I know. If I'm teaching you out of the Bible, we can't go wrong. Because it's God's word, not my word, okay? I I barely graduated high school, all right? I am not the brightest bulb in the pack. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm just a regular blue-collar kind of guy. It doesn't mean I'm a dummy, but I am no brain surgeon, right? And you don't need me to tell you how to live your life. That is not my purpose. That is not my calling. My calling and my purpose is to say, here's what the word of God says, Now go apply it to your life and to allow the Holy Spirit to then speak into your heart, hey, you better stop doing this thing. Hey, you better start doing this thing. If it comes from me, it's something that you can dismiss later or have hard feelings towards me later about because it was the wrong advice. But if I teach the word to you plainly, dad teaches the word to you plainly, and then the Holy Spirit speaks it into your life, that's where it's at, man. That's what we're talking about. Also in James chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. In other words, there's a responsibility. You don't just decide one day, hey, I'm going to go preach. Hey, I'm going to teach. I'm going to become a teacher. I'm going to become a preacher. Think about this. Think about this and pray about this thing and make sure God's calling you to this thing because there is a responsibility and there is a stricter judgment because your job is to watch over people and to make sure they're receiving the true word of God and there's a responsibility involved in that. And so Aaron and his sons were going to be held accountable for everything that happened within that tabernacle, whether good or bad. Verse four, they shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle, but an outsider shall not come near you. In other words, speaking of the tribe of Levi, everyone within the tribe of Levi was qualified 
as long as they were ceremonially clean, to work around the tabernacle, to help Aaron and his sons do the things that they were called to do. This would be the the eldership. This would be the deacons uh, in the the church from our standpoint. Verse 5, and you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar, that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel. Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord, to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near again shall be put to death. And so God is reiterating the fact, Aaron, you and your sons are responsible for the administration of the priesthood. You are responsible for the sacrifices. You are responsible for the sanctuary. This is your domain. And I'm giving you your brethren, the Levites, all of these other people, I'm giving them to you to help you, to be an aid to you, to take care of all of the other business that doesn't pertain to the priesthood because I want you to be focused. I want you to be focused in on what I'm calling you to do. This is a great lesson for all of us. I don't want you to be worrying about all the other stuff that I haven't given you to worry about. I want you to focus in on what I've called you to do. In this case, in this instance, it's the priesthood. I'm calling these other people to do the other work that surrounds that. Uh, In the book of Acts, chapter 6, and verses 2 through 4, we have this. This is right at the beginning of the church. The church is just getting off its feet. The church is growing by literally leaps and bounds. Thousands of people daily are being added to the body of believers. And it's just new work that's taking place. And the apostles who started off just simply teaching the gospel and telling people about Jesus, are now being sidetracked because of the needs of all the people. Because they're people. And when there's a whole bunch of people, guess what? There's a whole bunch of needs. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs to be done that doesn't pertain to the actual ministry. It's still ministry, but it doesn't pertain to the actual work and function of the main part of the ministry, which is teaching the flock, encouraging and instructing the flock so that they can go out and shine the light of Jesus Christ. And so we have this account happening within the early church, and this is what they said. Then the 12, this would be the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, what they're not saying here, this is important, what they're not saying here is that they're too important to serve tables. That's not what they're saying. Or that too, they're too high and they're too lofty to serve tables. One of my, great, my favorite stories about Pastor Chuck Smith, who was a pastor of, a, the, one of the, the, oh, the first Calvary Chapel uh, church in California, what did he have, 25,000 people in his church at, at, at one point in time? Just huge, massive church. And I never forget hearing one of his guys that were under him at that church that ended up going out and starting their own church years later was they were telling this account of they were, there was before church started and they arrived at the church and they're looking for Pastor Chuck. Where's Pastor Chuck? 
Well, they went out and they found Pastor Chuck and he was clearing gutters. He had his suit on and he had taken off his coat and rolled up his sleeves and he was clearing out cigarette butts and stuff that got stuck in, in, in drainage, uh, some of the drainage in front of the church and stuff. And he's cleaning these things out. And he remembered, the guy says, I remember thinking to myself, if Pastor Chuck is doing this stuff, what should I be willing to do as well? You know, that's not my job. That's someone else. No, 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 no. There is no person in the body of Christ that is above another person within the body of Christ. We have that whole teaching about the body, how it works together. You don't, you don't, you don't think about your, you know what you never think about? Your pinky toe. I don't care about that stupid pinky toe. It's gnarled. It looks like a macaroni, right? It's useless. It is absolutely useless to me. I don't ever think about, there's not ever a, a moment, a second during the day when I'm walking along and I'm planning my life or I'm working and I just go, I wonder how my pinky toe is doing. How are you, little fella? You hanging in there? I haven't forgot. I did forget. I don't care about my pinky toe. Until... app for remembering your pinky toe, apparently. But when I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and my wife has left some things on the floor, like when you go in the bathroom, my bathroom, I have the stool. There's a wooden stool so that the little ones can get up and use my sink. It's wonderful. And get things clogged in the drain there. And the stool, sometimes Nikki will like to just put it in the middle of the floor. Let's see what happens if I leave it there. And when I'm going in to go to the bathroom and I walk through and I'm just, <laughs> and I kick the stool and I kick that stool, guess what? The only thing that matters is my pinky toe. It's the only thing, because I've just broken him. And it's the only thing that I'm thinking about is my pinky toe. The point that the writer is talking about when he's talking about the body of Christ is that all parts of the body work together to form the body. There's no part that's more important. There's no part that you just don't need, okay? So that's not what they're saying here. What they're saying here is God has called us to preach the word. God has called us to deliver the gospel, to, to, to get people saved, to invite people to know Jesus Christ and to become a part of the church. And we're being sidetracked by all of this peripheral stuff. So they said, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of, of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So it's a very similar thing to what God was doing here with Aaron and the Levites. I'm giving the Levites to you so that they can assist you with all of the peripheral things and the peripheral ministries of the, ta of the tabernacle so that you can devote yourself to the priesthood. Now, I love this, um, oops, I love this part in verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, here, I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings. All the holy gifts of the children of Israel, I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance forever. And in my Bible, I circled that word here. Because it's not here like here where? No, here. No, here. here. Did you, it's not a place. This is God. Look at what it says. And the Lord spoke to Aaron. Here. This is God speaking to Aaron and saying, here. This is a gift for you. Aaron, Aaron. Hey, Aaron, look, look, look. Here. 
right? Now, look around you in your living rooms. Those of you who are watching online, watching on Facebook or YouTube, look around your living room. Look at your family. Look at the things that God has blessed you with. Look at your home. Look at your, your, your if, you're, if you're very blessed and fortunate, your dirt bike, right? Look at the things that God has blessed you. Look around you and imagine God saying to you, your name, and then here, here. I've given these things to you or I've given these people to you to be a blessing to you, to be a blessing to you in your service towards me and that you would use them accordingly. But it's a gift from God, our families, the things that God has blessed us with. You know, nobody should ever be ashamed of having been blessed by God with abundance, right? That is a gift from God. Only we have to remember that if God has blessed you, he expects you to use those blessings in his service. That's very important. Don't ever feel bad. Don't ever feel guilty. If God has blessed you with, with, with money and a, and a business and, and, and where you're a successful, that ain't from you, right? Yeah, you put in the hard work and you put in the effort and you did the right things to get that. But that is a blessing from God. And that's how we ought to see it as God going, here, what is your life? Where are you at? What are the blessings in your life? That is God going, here, here. I love this part. And this is him talking to Aaron, here. And he tells him about the heave offerings. Now, we're switching gears uh, just a little bit here because God now is going to begin to explain how Aaron and his sons, those who are a part of the priesthood, and also the rest of the Levites who are involved in the service of the tabernacle, how they were to be compensated. Because the tribe of Levi was different from any of the other tribes in Israel. When they went into the land, when they finally did go into the land of Canaan, they were not given a portion of land. They were not given property. Everyone else received a portion of land. This is yours. This, this is the portion that belongs to the tribe. This is the portion that belongs to your family. This is the portion that belongs to you. It's yours. It's a gift from God. They received no portion, and we're going to read why. Verse 9, this shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire, every offering of theirs, every grain offering, and every sin offering, and every trespass offering which they render to me shall be most holy for you and your sons. I'm going to explain this and simplify it all in one. I'm going to take all these verses we're going to read, and I'm going to simplify it to make it real easy. Um, <clears throat> every sin offering and every trespass offering which they render to me shall be most holy for you and your sons. In a most holy place you shall eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy to you. This also is yours, the heave offering of their gift. With all the wave offerings of the children of Israel, I have given them to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house that would be ceremonially clean may eat it. All the best of the oil, all the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits which they offer to the Lord, I have given them to you. Whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. This is God setting up 
a payment plan, basically. This is how the Levites were going to be compensated. This is how the, the family of Aaron was going to be compensated. And God set it up in such a way as that, so that it would be basically hand to mouth, that they would be directly blessed by the way they blessed others that they would be directly blessed and compensated through how they served the people by offering their sacrifices for them uh, on their behalf. <clears throat> when it talks about the heave offerings here and the wave offerings, when people would bring their offerings, whether it was a turtle dove, whether it was a lamb, whether it was a goat, whether it was an oxen, whatever the case may be, whether it was a grain offering or wine, there was all these different kinds of offerings and a portion of every offering that was brought in went to the tribe of Levi. And you got to remember, we're talking about between two and three million people in the children of Israel. Now that includes, you know, that's, that's men, women, kids, and old people as well. So the people who are, the, the individuals who are bringing sacrifices, maybe a million. That's a lot of people. And that's a lot of things. And God says, this is going to be the provision for the tribe of Levi and specifically also for Aaron and his family. Verse 14, he says, every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 says this, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer <clears throat> is worthy of his wages. In other words, what God was saying to Aaron and the Levites is, your provision is going to come through your service to me and the tabernacle by serving the people. That's where all of your provision is going to come from. The same thing goes for pastors. Pastors who are full-time, ministers who are full-time within the church, that's where their provision comes from. And when it says here that those uh, who rule well should be counted, counted worthy of double honor, what it's talking about is they should be compensated. Those men who are full-time in the ministry, those men who their job is to be a pastor and they do it well and they have a large church or whatever, the case, they should be taken care of. That doesn't mean that they should live in opulent luxury. We're going to get to that in a little bit here. That doesn't mean that they should be living in opulent luxury. That doesn't mean that they should be living at a status that is way above anybody else in their fellowship. That is not what it means at all. All. There is nothing in Scripture, specifically in the New Testament, as it, re, as it in regards to uh, pastors and teachers, that would even in any way allude to the fact that they ought to be living in opulent wealth and luxury at all. In fact, the opposite is true. Now, it also doesn't mean that they should be living in, in, in uh, abject poverty, See, some people also have the idea that if you're a pastor, if you're a minister and you're the real deal, well, you should, you should basically be living on, you know, <laughs> on the road somewhere or barely have enough money to feed your family. What happens, that, what happens in a situation like that is a person becomes distracted. A person becomes distracted by that. They become distracted by their needs, what they don't have. I have these needs, my family has these needs, and I'm not able to take care of them. I'm not able to provide for my family, and what happens in their heads is because of the ministry. Because of the fact that I'm a minister, I can't take care of my family. That's not the way it should be. That's never the way that it should be. 
That's not about a pastor looking for big money. That's not about a pastor looking for fancy cars. Shame on the pastor who is. But his needs should be provided for and his household should be provided for in a way that is appropriate, is appropriate so that their concern is the ministry, that their concern is taking care of the flock. That's what they should be worried about, not how they're going to pay their electric bill. Okay? Now, if the pastor's doing a bunch of dumb, stupid stuff and not handling his business correctly, and that's why he can't pay his bills, that's another, that's another issue altogether. That's why you got elders. <laughs> that's why you got people in the church to hold his feet to the fire. But we're talking about all things being even and all things being right within the church. Pastors shouldn't be begging for bread. A pastor should be taken care of. The Bible's clear about that. And it was established early on, even in the priesthood, as God dealt with Aaron and his family. Okay, and you know what? I wanted to go so further, but we're going to have to stop there. Uh, uh, and so let me reiterate the fact that that I just said was not saying send me your money. Okay, that's not what that said. I work a full time job out in the field so that I don't have to worry about money. I don't need money from the church. Give Dad all your money. <laughs> No, the tithes and offerings that you pay go to keep the lights on, to keep the heat going and the air conditioning in the summer, to put in new carpets when they're needed, to fix the roof when it's needed. This church does not have any opulent luxury. This church does not have anything that it doesn't need, and it will always be that way because that's what we're called to, to keep a place running in order and to keep it fitting your needs. We don't need anything more than that. We don't need anything more than that. So don't, don't take anything that I just said as a, as, as a call. Please send in your money. Send in your money. In fact, if the Lord puts it on your heart to send money, God bless you. That's awesome. But if you're not a part of this church, if this is not where you worship and fellowship, and you just happen to be listening on a whim, okay, you have no uh, you have absolutely no responsibility whatsoever to give any money to this ministry. At the end of the day, God will take care of this ministry, right? God will take care of dad. That's who is going to take care of this church, right? There, of course, there's still a responsibility for the people to do what God has called them to do. But that doesn't mean that the pastor should be focused on money. It's the exact opposite. That's the exact opposite. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. We ask, Lord God, that you would uh, be with us throughout this week, Lord, as we head off back to the, our work uh, place of work tomorrow, Lord, or if we're homebound, Father, as we sit home with our families, Lord, uh, during this time. We pray, Lord, that wherever people are going to be tomorrow and this coming week, uh, that they would look around them and see the things that you've blessed them with, Lord, and, and literally be able to see that as you saying here. Uh, this is what I've given you in your life. This is what I've blessed you with, Lord, and that they would see that as a gift from you. Uh, Lord, and uh, instead of focusing on the things that we don't have uh, or the things that we wish were better, Lord, we would instead see the things that we do have and be thankful for them, Lord, uh, and bless your name because of it and, and ask you, how can we serve you with the things that you've blessed us with, Lord? So uh, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters who are listening. Uh, Lord, all of my brothers and sisters who are at home now or watching this later in the week or whatever time of day it is, and wherever they may find themselves, Lord, I pray that you would bless them. And I pray that you would be with them and that your presence, Father, would be made evident in their lives. And they would feel you in their hearts, Lord God. And they would have a hunger and a desire to reach closer towards you, Father. Um, to have more of your presence in their life, Father. And uh, we pray, Father, for those who are in need. We pray for those who may be uh, sick, Lord, or have relatives or family members who are sick now. We pray for those who have any kind of uh, physical needs, Lord, beyond that, Lord, if they're, if they're 
uh, something that they're not able to, to provide for their family, Lord, or there's something that they're in need of. We pray, Father, that you would rise, raise up people around them to help take care of them and to take care of their needs, Lord. Uh, Father, and that you would use this church, uh, Lord, to be one of those ministering arms, Lord, to help anyone who needs help, Father, anyone who needs a, just a, maybe a comforting word, Father, or if they need groceries, whatever the case may be, I pray that you would use us to be your hands and your feet during this difficult time, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Thanks, everybody.